A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County takes senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 81 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We are concluding our Dynasty and Prospect Ranking Series today, discussing pitchers. And with me, as always, my 80-grade co-host, who is currently snowed in down there in snowy South Carolina, which is a weird combination of words to say in a row. Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, as you said that, some snow just fell off my roof and hit the window right there. It kind of scared <laughs> me a little bit. I thought somebody threw a snowball at the window. Yeah, it's weird. We got like six inches. It's still snowing, and you're in Maine and have nothing. It's interesting. but I know. What is this, like Freaky Friday on a Sunday? Like, yeah. What's going on right now? Yep, this is the most snow we've probably had in about 10 years, so everything shuts down, of course. So As you expect, probably the only thing open right now is Waffle House, but not sure I can make it there. <laughs> I think the I feel like Waffle House is like your like the South's version of like Dunkin' Donuts up here. Yeah. Like it'll be still be during like the worst weather you can ever imagine. We'll be like, hey, is Dunks open to go get our iced coffee? Or in your case, hey, is Waffle House open? Yeah, get some waffles or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's weird because yeah, we still have snow on the ground, but it hasn't snowed in. I don't know. I think it was early last week is the last time we could really get any uh, accumulation of snow. We might get a little bit earlier in mid this week upcoming, but. Yeah, it's weird that you might have more snow on the ground by the end of the end of the day today than we do up here in Maine, yeah. which is very again, it's just freaky Friday, kind of a roll reversal here. You guys are getting snow, but you get all that milk and bread though, right, Chris? You yeah. talk about milk oh, yeah. and bread. <laughs> Never <laughs> yeah, understand it, but you'll be having hey. milk and toast for, for the foreseeable future. But yeah. He said we're gonna be finishing our rankings here, the Dynasty Prospect Ranking Series. It's been a really fun last uh, several episodes. So if you missed any of them, go check them out. We got pitchers today, mostly talk about starters. We'll we'll mix in some reliever talk as well, but mostly starters here. Before we get into the episode, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. 
for extra content from both of us. And of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the Fantex HQ network, including our 2022 draft kit, which is a lot, lots of good stuff in there. We got consensus staff rankings that we're hammering out, you know, a lot of dynasty and prospect work, obviously sleepers, bus strategy, mock drafts, all that fun stuff is in there. And we'll just be adding more and more every single day leading up to spring training. So check that out. And lastly, if you're an Android user, the Fantrax app is now available in the Google Play Store, but make sure that you already have the progressive web app. You need to delete that before you install the new app. So go check that out as well. Let's get right into it here, starting with, of course, the dynasty side of things, and then we'll get into prospects after the break. Let's start, as we always do, with our top 10 dynasty rankings here. Chris, take it away. All right, so starting on the dynasty side, Corbin Burns coming in at number one, followed by Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller, Brandon Woodruff, and Shane Bieber coming in at five, six through ten. I have Julio Urias, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito, and then Jacob DeGrom rounding out that ten spot. I was wondering when you were going to say DeGrom. He's such a hard one right now. To, he is. In both redraft and dynasty, because like obviously – when healthy, you could give me one pitcher to win a winner-take-all game. I'm taking Jacob DeGrom. He's the best pitcher in the game, but he's, what's he now, 33 years old, got that elbow issue. So it's the uh, big, big risk-reward, obviously, with Jacob DeGrom. For me, I got Corbin, I think the same exact top four, Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller, Brendan Woodruff. I still have DeGrom at five, but it's an absolute cluster. So uh, he could easily slide down a few spots here. Uh, then 6-10 through 10 for me is Shane Bieber, Sandy Alcantara, Zach Wheeler, Julio Urias, and Freddie Peralta rounding out the top 10. So let's start right there with the Grom. And, you know, let's add in a little bit of Shane Bieber as well because I think there are some people out there that are, you know, not maybe not quite as worried about Bieber as they are with Jacob DeGrom. But, you know, Bieber did have an injury last year. And he really, when you look at his career numbers, obviously he's been very good for his career but that one really good year came in the shortened 2020 season against a weaker opponents facing just the central which had a lot of bad teams in it and outside of that you know his other two quote-unquote full years you know era in the low threes good k rate but not quite as good as he was in 2020 obviously and now he only made 16 starts last year so are you worried about bieber as you are with degrom or are you are you more you know, confident that Bieber can kind of bounce back and still be a top five caliber arm. I'm I'm not really worried about Bieber at all. I mean, he's still young. I saw him come back at the end of the year. So those two things are, are very helpful for me. Uh, when you see with DeGrom, who is what, seven years older, I mean, Bieber's 26 and DeGrom is being 33. Obviously, DeGrom doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm, but, but neither does Bieber. And so I, I'm not really worried about Bieber in the slightest because we saw him come back for at least two starts in the year, just three innings in both of those, but he did pitch well in both those starts. So I'm fairly confident he bounces back and is fine. Hopefully this isn't a thing where we see injury kind of keep piling up, but yeah, I'm honestly not particularly worried about him. I think he'll bounce back and, and jump back to ace level status. Yeah. I'm not too worried about injury concerns with him. As you mentioned, he's young, but I got to wonder is Bieber more in the, kind of the Urias, Alcantara, Logan Webb range, or can he still be in the Woodruff, Burns, you know, that, you know, Bueller range? I don't know. I feel like he's kind of in the middle. Maybe he's kind of like in a tier by himself almost. Because like, I think he's 
I don't quite like him as much as I, I like Burns, obviously, or even Bueller. But I do like I think he's a little bit better than the Peraltas, than the Alcantara's, Urias's, etc. So he can, he kind of fits in like, yeah, I think I have him sixth right now. I think that's a good range for him. Um, Wheeler's in there as well, but obviously Wheeler's a bit older, so he'll probably slide down moving forward here, even though Wheeler's an absolute workhorse. So I think Wheeler can maintain this level for at least the next few years or so. It's not like he's super old. And we've seen guys like Wheeler, you know, they age well into their mid to late 30s. So I think Wheeler can definitely have some value moving forward and staying at his mid-ace, kind of a mid-tier ace status for sure. Well, the difference in Bieber, in my opinion, is the fact that he's done it for three years. And even though he had a, a down year per se last year, he still had a 317 ERA. His Sierra was 321. His FIP was 303. So everything lines up. Yeah, the strikeout rates were down from 2020, but his 40 good. Per, 41% went repeatable. He still had a 33% strikeout rate yep. and a 6% walk rate. Or sorry, 8.1% walk rate. But here, over the last three seasons, 388 innings, a 292 ERA. That's elite, in my opinion. He he's shown that he can go deep. I mean, I think 214 innings in 2019 may have been the most. 77 in 2020 was a significant amount there as well in the shortened season. So I don't, I just think that he's shown and he's proven that he can do it. And even though he had slight regression last year, he still posted those elite numbers, in my opinion. And so it's just a matter of him being healthy and pitching. I, I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's in his own tier. Like until he, if he comes back and looks healthy next year and looks fine, then he probably vaults to number three again for me. Uh, Burns, Cole, Bieber. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, I was just about to ask you that. Where does he you know, if yeah. we get a good full season out of him? And even if he pitches to the same kind of, you know, levels as he did in 2021, yeah, I think he could be top five because, you know, obviously Garrett, I also I'll probably have Garrett Cole up there. I don't think Cole falls off anytime soon either, but I think he could get to that back end range. I don't think he'll get back up to number one and number two, but yeah, three, four, five back into that top tier. I think it's definitely possible for sure. Well, I mean, if he if he throws the same amount of workload as Bueller, which he's shown capable of doing, he's he's better than Bueller because of his ratios. I mean, Bueller doesn't have the strikeout stuff, so I think that that easily vaults him above because Bieber's going to strike out way more hitters, which is pretty significant in my opinion. Yeah, no, I can see that. I, I do think Bueller will have better, you know, better ERA and WHIP than Bieber, but definitely Bieber has shown he has the higher K rate. Though I do think there is that next level for Bueller to unlock with the, with the strikeout rate. I don't think he's like up to 33, 34%, but I think he definitely can. I think he was in like the mid 26% range. I think he can bump that up a bit, like 28, 29%. He has the stuff to do that. So I think if he does that, I would still take him over Bieber. It's, it's, it's very close. We're, we're nitpicking at this point, yeah. but, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see um, him Bieber getting it back up to three for sure. That's I just won't take him over assuming Garrett Cole doesn't fall off a cliff, which I don't think he will. He's still number two for me. And then Burns, I think, is going to be locked in at number one, uh, which is kind of where we're going to go next year. Do we think that Burns can stick as the number one or even even just keep him number one, number two overall in Dynasty pitcher rankings? I think he definitely can. Like, I've tried to find a, you know, a red flag or something that could drop him down even a few spots down to the, you know, three, four ranking range in the rankings i just can't do it like every time i formulate a list that combines like multiple pitching metrics of that show how good pitchers are like whether it's a ground ball rate swinging strike rate whiff rate etc etc burns is always on that damn list like it's it's hard to find anything he's not good at you look at his savant page it is littered with red 
outside of Max X at Vila, which again is just one batted ball event, so don't even look at that. He had this 90th percentile or better in basically everything. He's he's got was it one, two, three, three pitches above 45% whiff rate. He has one of the best pitches in the game in this cutter, which isn't even one of those three whiff rate pitches. So the walk rate is great. The command is great. I just don't see any reason why he can't continue being the number one arm. He's, he's 27. He's got the workhorse build, 6'3", 225. I think he can be taking that next step in terms of innings this year, get up above 180+. plus. was at 167 last year. One of the best strikeout arms in the game. I just don't see... If there's anything here in this profile that should signal that he can't be the number one arm moving forward, I can't find it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you easily see him take a step in innings next year. Like he was that good and he only pitched 167 innings and he was easily the most valuable arm in baseball, in my opinion. And I think we can expect uh, maybe 185. I mean, Steamer projects him at 174, but I think this is pretty common to see guys take a 20 inning jump. So you come off a full season, you have a pretty normal off season. I know that players haven't been working out with the teams right now, but he still had probably doing his normal routine in one way or another. And I think that's something to note too. People are acting like that players aren't going through their normal process right now because right. of the lockout. That's not true at all. People, oh, well, they don't have access to team trainers. But you, you realize these are professional baseball players and they can afford to work with whoever they want to. Honestly, their training may be better right now. They're, they're, they can pay and work with the top dogs in, in the industry. Whoever they want to work with, they can work with right now. So I actually look at this in a positive way in some sense and saying that players may be getting better training than they would be if they were working out with the clubs. That's just my opinion on it. I, I have no clue, no direct insight to that. But players are getting their training. If they're rehabbing from injury, they're getting elite rehab. And so we need to put that to rest, that just because they don't have access to team facilities or, or team personnel per se that that they aren't getting proper training and, and rehab stuff for injuries yeah no i i, I could definitely see that for sure obviously these guys have a ton of money they're they're not sitting on their butt right now that's for sure mm-hmm. uh let's move on to 11 through 20 here and for me that is logan webb aaron nola max scherzer trevor rogers lucas giolito alec manoa joe musgrove chris sale jack flaherty and Dylan Cease. Chris, who you got 11 to 20? All right. Coming in at 11, Sandy Alcantara, Freddie Peralta, Jack Flaherty, Max Freed, Joe Musgrove at 15, 16 through 20. Have Alec Manoa, Logan Webb, Zach Gallen, Chris Sale, and Trevor Rogers. Let's get into a little bit of Giolito here. Where did you have Giolito in your ranks, Chris? I, I, have, you- I have him ninth, but I do think that's probably too high, given the landscape of of the other pitchers we've talked about i think it's probably reasonable to move him down yeah and there's like a huge range here obviously i think the top six well i think top five we have burns cole bueller woodruff bieber Degrom is kind of dropping down too but that range of like alcantara wheeler urias peralta webb this is a big kind of tier here with a lot of names in it so gilito was in that range for me i I dropped him down to 15 but again, they could easily move him back up a couple of spots with a good 2022 here. But you look at his 2021, and it was it was good. Obviously, it wasn't terrible, but was it second tier for Dynasty starting pitcher rankings good? I don't think it was. 353 ERA, 110 whip over 70, uh, excuse me, 178.2 innings. Still had 201 strikeouts, 
uh, 28% walk rate, uh, walk rate, my word, 28% strikeout rate, 7.1% walk rate, which is actually better than he had the last couple of years, though the K rate did drop a good 4 to 5% from his previous marks. You know, I'm not sure, you know, that he's quite top 10 good anymore, but he's not far off. Like, you look at his, you know, all, all the ERA indicators are pretty much in line with what he's done the last couple of years, and even his ERA was in line. It was 341 in 2019, 348 in 2020, 353 in 2021. So maybe it wasn't so much Giolito dropping in rankings because he his performance made him drop in rankings, more so some of the other arms like Alcantara rising above him, Logan Webb rising above him, uh in my rankings at least guys like that. And you know that slight cage drop does you know affect him a bit as well. If he gets back up to 33%, I think it's a different story. But uh, for now, he's still a fantasy ace, quote unquote, for me, but just kind of like back end one. And the guy that I would love is my number two if I can get him there. Yeah, I think he's a solid number two for sure. I'm honestly probably avoiding him at the draft calls. I just, I don't know. I'm just not seeing stuff that I love. I think we saw a little regression last year. But again, like Bieber, we mentioned, he's got a, now a three year track record of, of yep. solid pitching. So maybe not elite, but I think he's he's a solid. SP two, a high end two, and maybe a back end one, but uh, I don't know. I think he he's carried a low BABIP over the years, which maybe is sustainable. So that's the only thing that really stands out. And his strand rate, I don't know. Strand rate is one of those things that really has nothing to do with anything but like luck per se. And so he kind of had a high strand rate this year, which I think probably is the reason the indicators are a little bit higher, but not even much. I mean, a three five three ERA versus a three seven two Sierra and a three seven nine. FIP, pretty solid, still 20% K minus BB rate, but the strikeout rate did drop from 33% between 2019 and 2020 down to 28% last year. So it'll be interesting to see, but I still think he's a solid arm for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think we're saying he's, you know, falling off a cliff anytime soon, but definitely I don't like him quite as much as I like Logan Webb or Urias or Peralta and Alcantara and kind of guys in that range. So he's kind of in the back of that range for me, back of, you know, I don't know if he's a high-end Tier 3 guy, back-end Tier 2. It's kind of hard to figure out where Tier 2 ends, but I think I'd probably have a more high-end Tier 3 right now. But again, still a very good arm for sure. But yeah, I think we're both avoiding him right now at his current price, both for redraft and dynasty purposes. Two other names in this range though, that are definitely on the rise, the aforementioned Freddie Peralta and also Alec Manoa, who had a great rookie season for the Toronto Blue Jays this past year. For Manoa, 20 starts, 111 two-thirds innings, had a 322 ERA, 1.05 whip, 27.7% strikeout rate, 8.7% walk rate. And for Peralta, I think he would have gotten even more love if he wasn't the third best arm in that Milwaukee team behind that electric duo of Burns and Woodruff, which is just insane that Peralta's their number three right now. Uh, for Peralta... He made uh, 27 starts, one relief outing, 144 and a third total innings. Pitched to a 281 ERA, 097 whip, 33.6% K rate, and a 9.7% walk rate. You know, Peralta is the one I'm more intrigued by. I think he's got the better all-run stuff. But at the same time, we've seen that walk rate's a little high. Not terrible. Like in the last three years, he's been almost exactly the same, 9.7, 9.6, and 9.7 uh, with elite strikeout numbers. So. Peralta for me is one that I think can take that next step. We've seen he has five pitches he can miss bats with. Well, it really, sink, only throws a sinker 
1% of the time. So I'll t- knock that one out there. But the other four all have a whiff rate above 28%, three above 30%. His four-seamer, his slider, which is an elite offering, and his changeup as well. Curveball is also very good. All four had an XBA of 203 or below, an X-slug of 323 or below, and an X-woba of 279 or below. So it's that electric arsenal, the deep arsenal that he can throw to both sides of the plate, which I love. Uh, yeah, I'm all in a Peralta. And if he could take that next step and drop the the walk rate just a little bit down to like 7 8%, that's all I'm asking. I think Peralta could get up into the same range that like Brendan Woodruff is. I think he's that good. My fear is just the innings. I mean, he threw yeah. 144 last year, and this is a fact that they basically like jerked him around and said he was pitching fine. And then on all of a sudden on August 18th, they're like, hey, you're not going to be a starter anymore. He threw two innings. And from that point on, he was not good. I mean, that on August 18th, two innings, three earned runs. He, they skipped him a start. Next one, he went two innings, four earned runs, 3.2 innings, three runs. Then they like, all right, you're good. You go back out there. He pitched against Detroit, so six innings, no runs. Six innings, three earned runs, and 5.1 innings, four earned runs to end the year. My concern is just the inconsistency because he throws across his body, and that hasn't had a good track record of success with pitchers. I think the stuff is there, but I'm afraid that this is peak value for Peralta. So if you're drafting him in redraft, I think that there's that concern where you are, you're paying and you're expecting him to repeat this value. And in a redraft league, the innings, like I don't think he's going to throw more than, than 155 next year, which is which where he's going. Hard to, to pay for that, in my opinion. I think he can be good enough, but in Dynasty also, I think you're buying high and the value may be at peak. So I, I, I'm more in line with Steamer. I think they have, they have in a 3.82 ERA and a 1.2 whip. Good strikeout, still 30% strikeout rate. That walk rate staying similar at a 9.9%. Still a 20% K minus BB rate. Very good pitcher, but I don't think we see him pitch to the elite that we saw this year. But I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, I tend to disagree. I, I, I think that steamer reduction is way too high. I, I just don't see how they're predicting a full run jump there. Like, I, I don't think it's totally out of the question. Like a lot of the points you made are great points, obviously, but I just look look at the stuff that he has and couple that with Milwaukee's just great track record of developing these guys recently, you know, with Burns and Woodruff being the last two examples of that. I think, you know, I think at least he stays at the level. He, maybe, okay, maybe you will see a slight ERA and whip progression. I think that's fair. But for me, that is more in the like 3-2 ERA and, you know, 1.05 whip range with a ton of strikeouts. So like, in 2022 and beyond, I would rather have Peralta. Yeah, Gilead will give you more innings than Peralta, but I would have rather have Peralta because I think there's a better chance for lower ratios and even more strikeouts um, than Gilead. So, um, yeah, this could be peak value. I could totally see that, especially if the walk rate does not improve. I think that's going to be a big kind of X factor with Peralta moving forward if that stays around the 9.5%, 10% range or if he can drop it a couple percentage points down to 7 or 8%. That'll be huge for his value, but yeah, definitely a, a very intriguing arm for sure, regardless. But Alec Manoa, where are you at on Manoa, Chris? Like for me, I love I I I don't love Manoa. I like Manoa a good amount. Obviously, that slider is absolutely filthy. You know, he's got the fastball sinker as well, but the changeup is not good. You know, and I wonder how effective I wonder if there's that next level. For Manoa, I think he could say where he's at now as a solid number two, but 
I don't know about the next level, but what do you think? I think that he's good enough with those with the four seam slider sinker that that he can get away with the changeup. Maybe even not even throw it, which would be interesting. But I, I would love to see him develop that a little more. Obviously, that would give him a much better repertoire there. But the slider you mentioned is probably the best pitching, best slider in baseball, in my opinion. That it may be pushing it, but it's one of the best for sure. Downright nasty. The four seam's a great pitch as well, and his whiff rate is extremely high for a four seam on that pitch. And you see the numbers, they're legit. I mean, he had a 200 batting average against the four seam, 146 against the slider, and the XBAs were right there. I mean, the XBA on the fast four seam was actually 174, and the slider just 150. So those are extremely valuable pitches as well. And he gets whiffs with the sinker too, which is interesting. A decent whiff rate for a sinker at 23%, which I really like to see. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the development of the changeup could take him a, a really, really long way. But is he kind of a Jose Barrios type pitcher that posts good ratios, like a strikeout per inning, maybe a little more type? Yep. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see for sure. That, that's where that's where I'm at. Like, I think Manoa is going to be very good. Like I said, a uh, the Ranger with Jose Barrios is a very good range to be in. That's a very good number two guy. That's a you know kind of a top twenty five or top thirty arm every year. But I just don't know if he has quite the stuff to get up into that next lane, like into a, the fantasy ace range we've been talking about. Like I don't see him jumping up into that Peralta, you know, Giolito Web range where he's you know top ten ish arm. Sure. Just don't quite see that happening. But yeah. again, still very good. Uh, so definitely buying him uh, in dynasty leagues for sure. Uh, one that I'm just not quite buying right now. I think this is one that we're going to differ on a little bit here, just given our rankings. That's Jack Flaherty. You know, I don't, Jack Flaherty is a talented arm. There's not, there's no doubting that, but I just don't know if he's as his value is quite as high as people think, or should be as high as people think it is. Now you look at the last two years and so now he's been dealing with injuries I get that. But the last two years, his ex, all his ERA indicators are floating right around five. Like that's, that's not great. Even I get, again, small sample size for sure. He only pitched a 70 and a third in 2021. And what was he in, and 40 and a third in 2020. But I just don't know. I think he kind of, I, I'm kind of similar to Manoa here as I am with Flaherty. He's a very good arm, but I just don't value him quite as high. Like he, there's a lot of blue, on his savant page, you know, look at his his arsenal here. He gets good, you know, slider and curveball, both very good offerings in terms of whiff rate, which is great. But you know, the X the, the fastball overperformed. All of his offerings really overperformed. If you look at you know the batting average and slugging compared to the XBA and X slug, so I don't know. I don't think he's five ERA bad, obviously, but maybe he's again another guy in the Jose Barrios range, mid to upper three ERA good but not great strikeout rate you know 27 28 or so that's kind of where i'm at him flirt where i think he's a good number two or number three but i don't want him anywhere as near being you know my ace on any team redraft or dynasty well i think it i think it, his xera is kind of flawed here because xera is all batted ball data but the factor that he has gold glove defenders behind him at, at literally help, every yeah. position. And I think that's also you you look and he he runs low Babips consistently. I mean, his his three year running Babip is two, four, five, which can it is it unsustainable? Most people will say yes, but it's not when you think about who he has behind him in the field. And, you know, he 
runs these strand rates. He's ran a 78% strand rate over the last three years, which I think goes into fielding. So when, when you get away with that, you have, I mean, how many gold glovers they have last year? Six, five, uh, five. I think it was three and it was Ari. It was Goldie, Arenado, Bader. Um, did you, did Yadi win in that catcher? I'm not sure. I don't. I think they had two outfielders and two, three infielders. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I thought it was definitely the breakdown. I couldn't remember who the other two were. Plus, Edmundo Sosa, if he's their shortstop, he's he's elite in the field as well. So I'm not. I'm ignoring the XERA completely here. You look. Sierra's a pretty good indicator, I think. And even Sierra could be a little flawed based on um, what how he pitches, and he has a 3.77 Sierra over the last three years. But yes, that's fair. Yeah, but I do think to an extent that's even flawed because of you know who how he pitches. It's just he, he in my opinion, he's similar to Max Freed, but he gets more strikeouts. Like he's different than Max Freed in the extent that Freed induces a lot of weak contact. Flaherty pitches to contact; it's not always the weakest, but Flaherty has the defenders to back him up, and he just strikes out guys. I mean, last I think this is a pretty true indicator of who he is. Is twenty twenty was an outlier, forty innings. He had a 9.5% walk rate. I think he's more of a 7.5% guy based on the seasons we saw in 2019 and 2021. Yeah, I can remember with that. And, and the strikeout rate, you know, pushing near 30. So I think that that could be pretty solid as well. You know, Steamer is probably pretty fair based on what we've seen at 373 and a 26% K rate. But I think he probably outperforms that. I think based because all these numbers are based on what you're seeing with like Babbitt and strain rate and those naturally scream regression, but I don't not, I don't see regression coming because of who he has behind him. So, you know, I'm pretty on board here. I, I think that he's a good buy low right now for dynasty. And I think he could easily bounce back to SP one status because when he pitches, he is really good. I think the arsenal is pretty well-rounded. I'm not overly concerned. The, the four seam is fine. Maybe, maybe you'll see the velo tick back up. It was down just a hair this year. So maybe that could benefit him if we see that tick up. And again, the XBAs are going to be a little higher on due to the the gold glovers behind him. So when when he hits, because the expected stats are based on like how hard these balls are hit and where and how often they drop in for hits. So he's going to just benefit a little more from the fielders behind him. And maybe that's a flaw. If he were to get traded or lose some of these, if some of these Cardinals get injured, then then it could hurt him. But yeah, I'm I'm honestly like totally on board with buying him low everywhere. Which which is fine. We can differ on that. But look at the whiff rates on his pitches. Outside the four seam, forty percent on the slider, thirty nine point three on the curveball, thirty two three on the sinker. Like again, these are these aren't used nearly as much. But and then when he throw the, he threw the changeup, not often, thirty three point three percent of the time. So he induces really good whiff rates. The fact that he has good good fielders behind him, I'm on board. I, I think we're not as far up as we think we are. To be honest with you, I think we're. We're saying a lot of the same things. Is I think we're getting there differently in how we value him. Because I do think, obviously, he's going to be better. Like I say he's going to be better than he's not four and a half, five ERA guy. So I think he's mid to upper, mid three, even if he outperforms Steamer, right? Take Steamer. Like you said, you think he can outperform Steamer. So give me give me some ranges here. Like give me a you know, ERA, whip, and K ray. Where do you think he could be? Um. Well, let me just give me a second. Let me pull up my numbers that I've ran and see. Where that gets him at, I'm curious what what my projection. I, I I'd be willing to bet that our projections for him aren't terribly far off. I think you'll be obviously higher than me, but even at your projection, I'm wondering if that's ace level. Like I think he's would I take him over Jose Barrios? Yes. Would I take him over Logan Webb? No. I think he's somewhere in the middle where 
He could be around, you know, anywhere in rankings from like 19 to 20 to the mid 20s, which is a very good SP2 for me. I just don't think like for me, when I think of I know it's I'd have to go look at what the ace numbers actually were. But just in my head, I'm thinking, all right, ace capable of at least the sub three, two ERA, likely below three at this level at, at this point in time. That's where aces go now in 2021, 2022. And, you know, 29, 30 plus percent care. I think he's close to those levels, but I don't still think he can get to those levels. Yeah. So my projection model has him at 3.6 ERA and a 1.15 whip. Strikeout rate at 29%, which I think is probably reasonable. Seven and a half walk rate there. So I think, I just think that's pretty good value. I mean, I don't, projection systems are in general pretty conservative. So I don't, I honestly don't have any pitchers above them that have that are projected to have better ERAs. I mean, you've got like the Kevin Galsman's at three five nine, which is interesting. You have like your Bueller, your Scherzer, your Degrom, Woodruff, Burns. Webb's a little bit ahead of them as well, ERA wise. But I, I think that three six puts them in a top fifteen range at least. Which you know, in a fifteen team, that's back in SP one territory. Yeah, I guess I, I just don't think he can. I don't think he can get to that range. I guess we'll, we'll differ there, obviously. Uh, I, I just don't see him getting to back end, you know, ace range there. Even at that range, I, I just don't see three six ERA. I know, you, like obviously, projection systems do run a little bit conservative. Obviously, Steamer's always been pretty conservative as well, especially with like ERAs and, and batting averages for hitters, etc. But yeah, I just don't see mid three ERA with if he had a thirty five percent K rate, sure. But I think that's that combination of the ratios and K rate. This, I just don't think he's an ace, but. Um, Let's go ahead and move on here. We spent enough time <laughs> on Jack Flaherty. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. Privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one Text the word grade to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text grade to 323232 now. Text grade to 323232 here oh, let's go to the next part of our rankings 21 through 30 for me that is what 21's max freed shane mcclanahan luis castillo robbie ray jose barrios and then 26 through 30 tyler glasnow shane boz carlos rodone lance lynn and zach gallon chris who you got all right coming in at 21 i've got jose barrios followed by robbie ray shane boz shane mcclanahan and max scherzer and then 26 through 30, I have Luis Castillo, Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon, Kevin Gaussman, and Pablo Lopez, which I'm actually going to move Pablo Lopez down a decent bit. Those, those shoulder injuries, yeah, year over year, the innings pitched, he deserves to be bumped down a decent bit for me, actually. So I just did that same exact thing earlier today. 
uh, when I was kind of tinkering my rankings, make sure I liked them in the way I, I wanted them for this episode. And uh, yeah, he was one. I think I had him at 31, 32, and I bumped him down to spoiler 38. Uh, just because, yeah, I think if you, if you could guarantee like 160 plus innings out of him, I think where we kind of have him right around 30, give or take, is fair. But yeah, with the injuries, you get bumped down a little bit. Uh, I like Pablo Lopez, just wish he could pitch a full season ever. Yep. <laughs> um, but very, a lot of a lot of similar names in this range, two of which we're going to talk about right now. The two Rays, well, two of the three Rays in this ranking. Actually, did you have Glass down here? And you're, you didn't take yes. Glass down, did you? Oh, you did. Yes. Okay, so so we have no, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> yes, no. Next maybe. range. Uh, <laughs> um, but so there's a lot of uh, a lot of Tampa Bay arms in this kind of section of the rankings, including two guys that I'm writing an article about right now that will be out probably as you're listening to this probably tomorrow or Wednesday. That's the two Shanes, Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz. I mean, I am I'm all in on both these guys. I, I made a post uh, yesterday or today technically on Shane Boz that I, if anyone outside the ADP top like 125 or so has a chance of finishing as a top 10 arm, it'd be Shane Boz. McClenahan's a little bit higher than that in ADP. Also, I would have said him as well because I, I'm all in on both these guys. You know, Shane Boz is someone I, you know, I interviewed along with Jake Devereaux and Jesse Roche on the uh, now defunct Five Tool podcast at the beginning of the pandemic in April of 2020. And one thing he mentioned was that he wanted to take this time or that time to work on his command of his entire arsenal strike throwing ability. And he definitely did that. You saw the walk rate, which before coming into 2021 was at, uh, I think it was 11.7%. He dropped it down to 6.1% at the major league level in his three starts and then 4.4% in the minor leagues between double A and triple A. He has that elect elite arsenal four seam curve change slider, all of which can miss bats. You know, he can miss bats in an exceptionally high clip with both those breakers. He has the elite fastball velocity, the changeup, even the changeup is probably his fourth best pitch. And that even flashes above average or better um, in any given start. So I'm all in on boss. I think the, the improvements he made in 2020 and 2021 with that command and control will stick. Like I said, he, he was really, really adamant about improving the area of his game. He did so in spades. So I think this is a guy that could be low, you know, low ratios when one of the best strikeout arms in the game. And yeah, the he's on the race. So like, oh, the innings. So yeah, maybe he's only in the, maybe he gets up to the Freddie Peralta range and 140-ish innings this year. And maybe he's never more than that 160 to 170 guy. But I think that could still put him as a top back end, top 10 arm with the ratios he can give and the elite strikeout. So I am all in on Shane Boz. I am buying everywhere I can. I'm curious if his command will stick. It was such a outlier of his career, and maybe it's something that actually did see an adjustment. But you know, I'd like to see it this season. But the problem is, if you if you wait to see it this year, you're gonna miss out. Like his value, exactly. Yeah, that's the problem. It's it's buy now or buy never. Honestly, <laughs> yep. because yep. if he if the command does stick, like I said, that his stock's gonna take off. He's gonna be in that in that same conversation that we're talking about, like a top ten type arm. There's there's no question about that. Because the talent is definitely there. So, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I think you hit the analysis pretty well there. McClanahan being the other one, he'll be interesting to follow too. Um, I, I'm kind of slightly concerned because he gets hit so hard. He does, yeah. That's the that's, issue with him. That's the biggest flaw. I think the strikeouts will be there. And you look at his pitches. I mean, he outside the four seam, which probably the four seam is his worst pitch, 
He still had a whiff rate on the other pitches. I mean, 39.9% on the slider, 41.9% on the curve, and 448 on the changeup. That's just insane numbers. So he's going to have to miss a lot of bats, I think, to keep these ratios lower. Even last year, I mean, he still had a 127 whip, which is slightly concerning. So he'll be an interesting one to follow. I do like him, but I think I'd prefer Boz. I would too. And right now I do have McGlanahan slightly ahead in my rankings. I think actually they're back. Maybe back to, what did I say they were? Yeah. Okay. No, he's a few spots ahead, but I definitely like Boz more long-term. I think McClanahan's value is higher right now. But yeah, the, the issue with him is that he gets hit hard. I don't think the ratios ever be as low as they are with Boz. I, like, I don't see McClanahan posting like a three ERA or a one Oh five whip or anything like that. He's probably gonna be a little bit higher. Three, three, five ERA type of guy, give or take one, two to one, three whip. I think that one, two, seven whip can improve because you look at the fastball. Yeah, it does get hit hard, but you look at that, it's such a damn good pitch. Like he's so 96.4 average at Velo on that pitch. Again, Velo obviously is not everything. He's going to have to command that better. The command wasn't great. He left that over the heart of the plate way too much uh, in 2021. And that was part of the reason why he had a, 308 batting average against on it, 500 slugging, and a 378 Woba with expected metrics all higher than that, 320, 570, and 408 respectively. So obviously he's going to have to command that a bit better or a lot better um, in terms to lower the you know the ERA and WHIP a bit there. But he was one. He, he missed being one of the three pitchers. There were only two other pitchers in baseball that had WHIP rates above 40% on three offerings, Corbin Burns and Dylan Cease. He missed that by 0.1%. On the sliders, yeah, I think he's gonna be one of the top strikeout arms in the game. Guy that can get, you know, maybe be 150 inning, 200 K type of guy, but with slightly higher ratio. So that's why I don't think he can get to that fantasy ace range, but very good, you know, solid SP two long term. I think it's definitely possible. So, but yeah, so I think we're both saying Boz over McClanahan, but we like both arms for sure. Uh, let's move on to the next segment here: 31 through. 50 in our rankings. Chris, who you got? All right. Ian Anderson, Frankie Montas, Lance Lynn, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, followed by Tyler Molly, Luis Garcia of the Astros, Jesus Lazardo, Lance McCullers Jr., and Grayson Rodriguez rounding out 40. And then 41 through 50 you have Logan Gilbert, Aaron Ashby, Luis Severino, Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, Framber Valdez, Josh Hader, Marcus Stroman, Joe Ryan, and you Darvish. You Darvish, I have Darvish at thirty-three, but he, he's the one that I can't figure out how to rank. I probably should drop you Darvish a bit, but for now, I have Grayson Rodriguez thirty-one, Gallusman thirty-two, Darvish May, and Ian Anderson thirty-three through thirty-five, then thirty-six through forty, Blake Snell, Logan Gilbert, Pablo Lopez, Frankie Montas, Tyler Molly, forty-one through fifty, Luis Severino, Sixto Sanchez, Clayton Kershaw, George Kirby, Lance McCullers Jr. Tariq Skubal, who I might drop a little bit from there. I don't know. Uh, Michael Simeon made a good p- uh, post on Skubal. Let's so go check him out. It has me a little more worried about Skubal than I was. Uh, Luis Garcia, Jesus Lazardo, Framber Valdez, and Max Meyer round out my top 50 here. So a lot of very good arms. And, and this is a range where I think you know some of the top relievers start to come into play here or mainly Josh Hader and Liam Hendricks. So let's start there before we talk about a couple of the other arms in this range. Chris, you know, dynasty relievers are just so hard to value a dynasty because 
you know, obviously the turnover year to year. So how do you value guys like Hader and Hendricks, two of the guys that have shown that they can be, you know, top five relievers year in, year out, long term? How do you factor them into your rankings? They're tough. And most of my dynasty leagues are saves hold, which I think is a much better format for for dynasty specific. But I understand that they're still save only dynasty leagues. And so obviously you have to value saves because I think that maybe you can get away with punting saves, but I still think being balanced is semi-important in a dynasty league. If you want to win, you have to have stats and taking like five points in saves is much better than taking a one point in a right. roto league. So you, you almost have to have some saves, but I'm just not willing to pay up for closers because there's so much volatility. So while I do have Hader and Hendricks ranked right there, I have Hendricks like right outside the top 50 actually. You can't, there's no way I can pay that price for them in a dynasty because you never know when they could lose their role. They could get traded into a different role pretty quick. They get injured. There's so much volatility. I'd much rather go with a hitter. So it's tough, but I'm looking for later saves. I'm looking for speculative saves because guys always run into saves every year. So in a dynasty league, I think you can get away with doing that in a save only league. And in a saves hold league, I don't even draft relievers. I just pick up the guys with the best ratios on the wire that are going to get holds, and, and you run with it from there because they're going to give you holds. Right. They're going to give you good ratios. That, that works for me. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And yeah, that's why I've never really targeted closures at all, especially, especially the top tier guys. I'm always trying to find those that next wave, the, the young guys with the good stuff that could you know work their way into high leverage roles eventually. And, and we've seen, too, like, in addition to the turnover at the position year in, year out, the teams don't always use their quote unquote best reliever as a closer. We've seen that sometimes that, you know, they pitch them in the sixth and the seventh. So that's why I agree. Saves and holds is a great format because that kind of takes that element out of it. The, the manager decision part of it out of it. We're like, all right, let's just use hater. Like back when hater was being used kind of in that type of role where, all right, you got to face the heart of the order here in the seventh. Let's bring in Josh Hader now instead of keeping him for the ninth, where he could be facing the seven, eight, nine guys at that point in time. So uh, definitely devalues closers from that part in Dynasty. And so I'm, 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 I'm in agreement with you. I'm always trying to find that next guy. Like, like I said, the you know the Emmanuel Class A's before they you know he broke out this past year. Those types of guys were all right. I in maybe a year or two they could be a guy that's a top reliever in baseball. Let me get them now before their value kind of jumps. So that's where I usually go with dynasty uh, relievers and dynasty purposes. Uh, moving on here, though, let's talk about some of the Houston arms here. So we got Frember Valdez in this range. We got Luis Garcia in this range. You know, we talked about Houston. Now, we just had our Houston Patreon podcast uh, recently where a lot of these guys weren't thought of as necessarily top prospects. They didn't have that pedigree, but. Houston has done a very, very good job over the over the years and you know getting the best out of these guys. And we've seen that recently with Frember Valdez and Luis Garcia. I'm higher on Garcia. I've never been a big Framber Valdez guy, though I am coming around. Obviously, it's hard not to like a guy that has what was his ground ball rate last year? 70.7% or something ridiculous like that. Like that. Like he made Logan Webb look like a fly ball pitcher, and Logan Webb had a 61% ground ball rate. Yeah, Framber Valdez was what was he? What was it? Seventy point four, uh, which was you know last four years seventy point seven, sixty two percent, sixty point two, and seventy point four. Does not give up hard, you know fly balls 
ever. Uh, has a very, very good curveball. So I'm coming around on Fran Valdez, not as much as others, but do like him. But Luis Garcia is the one I'm really excited about. Uh, well, I'll get in him in the second here. But what are, what are your thoughts on this duo here, Chris? Yeah, they're fun. I think I think Valdez is still kind of underrated, even though he does rely so much on those those ground balls. Love Garcia. I even like McCullers in this range. He's obviously oh, yeah, a health issue. Too, yep. yep, McCullers has some health issues, but I, I am a big fan of him. And so, yeah, I mean, naturally, again, this is kind of a flirty thing where you're going to see Valdez run a little higher FIP in Sierra because he puts more balls in play. The strikeout rate was down this year, and maybe that's who he is because his strikeout rate in 2020 was 26.4%. That's a huge outlier for his career. His career number is 22.6, so probably closer to this range. And he does walk a lot of guys, too, which is concerning. Maybe the 2020 season is more of a mirage for Valdez. You saw him have a 20.8% K minus BB, and his career is only 12%. So those are important. The swinging strike rates have been consistent around 10%. Every season, and actually, 2020 was the lowest of 2019, 2020, and 2021, which is kind of funny. So maybe there's some warts in the game. He relies too much on these ground balls, which which is okay. But yeah, I'm gonna have to see more. His fastball velocity is also ticked down for three years straight. I think I've just done enough research to tell me that I'm moving him down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of concerns. Definitely, McCullers, I think, is the most talented arm. Of this duo, like if he was healthy, I would I'd have him first here. But and I still do have him first. But man, it's just the the elbow issue is very concerning, and it's like this is the first time that he's had some arm issues either. So definitely a lot of risk reward in that profile. Now, Luis Garcia is definitely one I'm I'm starting to buy into more and more as well. The metrics aren't phenomenal with him, but you know, look at his arsenal. Outside of his fastball, uh, his all of his secondary offerings, cutter, slider, changeup, curve, all have a whiff rate above 36%. That's very, very good. One, you know, only a handful of arms in the game that had four pitches with a whiff rate above 35% last year. And, you know, the, the batting average against was 224 or less on all of those. You know, X slug outside of the changeup was all pretty good as well. So, uh, or not, not, not the X slug, the, the actual slug, I should say. The, fa- the four seamer is an issue. 301 batting average against 488 slugging expected answers are right there as well. So that'll have to improve, or maybe he drops the usage on that uses that cutter a bit more, about 45% fastball usage, 22 and a half on the cutters. Maybe you see the four seam usage come down, cutter go up. Um, but yeah, this is definitely an arm. I like a lot for sure. Uh, where are you, where are you at on, on Garcia? Do you like five years from now? You like Garcia more, or do you like McCullers more or even Framber? which, how do you think these guys pan out long-term? Yeah, and it's easy for McCullers to be number one if he was healthy, but he's not. So I'll take Garcia, then followed by McCullers, and then Valdez below, probably a tier below. Yeah, but I agree with what you said. I think Frember still is underrated. Like even for me, like I, I'm slowly coming around to him. Um, so I think all I think Garcia and Frember are good buys right now. McCullers, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on how much the whoever has him in your league kind of is concerned about the the arm issue there, like the determinants value but if you can get him for a discount i wouldn't be opposed to it but it's so risky right now in that profile uh let's end the our major league part of this segment the dynasty rankings i should say with a couple breakouts here before we hit the break we'll give you two breakouts each chris who's your first breakout i'm actually going with eduardo rodriguez who i think we've kind of seen have that breakout year already 
people have soured on him pretty pretty good. And actually, I don't know if we've seen the full breakout. You know, in 2018 and 2019, posted a 382 ERA and a 381 in 2019. 2019 was over 200 innings. But I think we've yet to see the best. We saw a lot of improvements last year from him. Had a huge outlier with some of his left on base and BABIPs. So those are definitely encouraging. Four seven four ERA last year, a three two three FIP and a three six five Sierra. So those are encouraging. I think we could see him now. Even he's in a better home park. The defense behind him actually is not as bad as people think. He added a, a Gold Glover in Javi Baez there at shortstop. I think overall, when we see Green in the field and Torque in the field, like the fielding gets a little better and the park is much better for Erod. So. I'm buying Erod for a breakout this year. I think he could be a, a 3-5 ERA type over 185 innings, and I think we saw the K rate improve last year, and I think that really sticks. And my other one is Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, he pitches in the AL East. He pitches in Yankee Stadium. Those things are kind of discouraging, but Monty was a standout last year, man, with swinging strike rate of 13.7%. He quietly had a 3.83 ERA over 157 innings. He's got to be in the rotation. They don't really have anybody else right now, so they need him to start. I think he could be another like one that pitches to a mid three, mid to high three ZRA, good strikeout rates. I think we see that tick up as well. I mean, twenty four and a half percent K rate and thirteen point seven percent swinging strike rate just don't go together at all. So that strike rate, strikeout rate could tick up a little bit, and I think Monty could be in for a big season. I one hundred percent agree. I had Monty as the first name I read up, read up, wrote up in my starting pitcher sleepers article from a few days ago. So you're definitely on board with, with Jordan Montgomery there. And obviously I've always been a big E-Rod guy. Sucks that he left Boston, but I uh, definitely like E-Rod as well. My two, I'm going to start out with a guy that had a 548 ERA and 136 whip in his major league debut this past year. That's Josiah Gray. And it's funny because Gray is a guy that I was, you know, I liked coming up through when he was a prospect, but I think I was a little lower the most, but I'm definitely coming around on Josiah Gray. I, I included him in my sleepers article as well for 2022. You look at last year, he was one of, I think it was eight or nine arms that had with 70 plus innings, had a whiff rate above 45% on two offerings. That was his curveball and his slider, 47.8% on the curve, 45% on the slider, with a batting average against below 200 on both, and a slugging allowed below three. Uh, 390 on both with XBA and X slugs below those metrics as well. Two very, very good breaking balls there, which is kind of, he's always had the good breaking balls coming up through the minor leagues. And one thing with him last year, he had a 10.7% walk rate in the major leagues, which was about three to 4% higher than he was in the minor leagues. Like he was always around like six, 7% at a key rate close to 30%. I don't think he's going to be 30% K rate guy or something like that, but Definitely think he can get up to that 26, 27% K rate range, drop the walk rate down a couple percentage points as well, and really get those ratios down. The one issue with him, though, is that four-seamer. Good velocity, 94.6 on average, but got hit hard. 282 batting average against, 620 slug. The expected metrics are right there as well. 414 Woba. So that'll have to improve. He left it over the heart of the plate way too much. Uh, in 2021. So the improved four seamer will be huge for him because he gave up 12.2% bail rate largely because of that four seamer, the location on it. So he'll need to improve that. But if he can, I can see a nice breakout here 
for Josiah Gray in 2022. The other one, kind of an obvious one, but Michael Kopech. I've said before, I was more upset about losing Kopech in the Chris Sale deal than I was Yohan Moncada, who I absolutely loved. But I, I remember watching Kopech come up through you know, the sock system in the lower levels. And I was like, this guy looks like he could just be one of the best arms in baseball. The elite four-seamer slider curveball changeup is more sporadic, but he has good movement on the changeup as well. Like this is a guy that could be a one of the top strikeout arms in baseball. Uh, he'll be likely transitioning into the rotation this year for the White Sox. That's not cemented yet, but all, all indications are that that's what's going to happen. And you look at, you know, he was out of the bullpen, but he had an XBA under 200 in all four of his pitches. Like I said, when he can command his pitches, he is very, very hard to hit. And yeah, that's kind of come and gone, but he's still young, only 25. So there's more consistency in that regard. He could just be an arm that really takes off and could be a guy we're talking about like we were with Peralta and, you know, Jack Flurry and all these guys that could be a top 20 arm within the next couple of years. So definitely love Kopech to break out this year. And you know what, Chris? I think that might wrap up this episode. We've kind of gone a bit longer on the dynasty side of things than we anticipated. So I think we're going to cut this up into two separate episodes. We'll give you a dy- just a dynasty one here, and we'll do prospects uh, on Wednesday in another episode so we can go deeper into that side as well. I knew it would be too hard to do dynasty <laughs> and prospects in the same episodes. Like We're already pushing an hour here. I don't want to do a two-hour episode, so... We'll split them up. We'll get you some prospects next episode. So tune in again on Wednesday for that. Thank you to everyone again for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I know we did. This was a blast. Pitching is always fun to talk about. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Cross 4 Chris is at RotoClegg. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon. And join us again on Wednesday for the prospect side of this. But until then, everyone take care.